Are you currently levitating? Not at the moment. Damn. I have managed to find myself a, a seat. Okay. <laughs> so, everybody, this is our segment where we discuss our favorite albums of 1980... Wait, what year are we in again? 83. 83. <laughs> Lost track. Um... So he picks five, I pick five for the year 1983. We discuss why we like them, if we can remember why we like them. There's one on this list. I can't remember why. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm sorry, people. Um, all right. So did you want to say something before we go? I can't, or is it part of the discussion? Well, it'll, it'll, it'll be part of the discussion. Okay. Uh, so do you want to go first or I go first? Uh, why don't you go first this time? Okay. So I'll flip a quarter and heads up. <laughs> You'll never know. Oh, heads every time. It's so weird I win. <laughs> uh, this is the one that I picked because I watched a few of the music videos. And uh, I liked it. I had never heard of them before. And uh, I, I wrote this down in such a haphazard way. I didn't write down the full title. Give me a second. Toy Dolls is the band. I, I found... So I've been watching... Uh, uh, full uh, playlist on uh, YouTube of all the videos that debuted that year and so I'm obviously up to 1983 and they're like 350 videos and most of them I've, I've seen them all before or the ones I haven't seen there's a reason why I haven't seen them and Toy Dolls caught my attention because these are just scrappy teenagers filming with the worst camera that you could possibly find for a legitimate video and uh, I mean even worse than probably porn at the time and just just they're horsing around on uh, the, the videos, whatever. And it's just there's some energy about it that I really appreciated. And, it, and the album is called Dig That Groove, Baby. And it reminded me of early Dead Milkmen. That was actually – that was one of the things I thought of too is it's basically I, – I did not particularly like this one. But I think it's musically they are tight. They are – like the music on this is amazing, and they're, but they're like an annoying oi version of Dead Milkmen. Yeah, it's just something about them was appealing, and I just kind of thought they were like compared to what was going on in '83, where music started getting heavier in its subject matter. They're just goofing around. I kind of enjoyed that. Oh yeah, and like the one of what's kind of funny is because it's the vocals that really hurt this for me. I just I can't stand that guy's voice. It is rough, which yeah. is funny. Well, it's funny because it. Vocally, it kind of reminds me of this punk band that I like called the Crucifix, and they have the guy singing with a very high-pitched, nasally annoying voice, kind of like this. But I, I respond more to that because it's, you know, more, it's it's American and political and not British and goofy. Yeah, I, if you were a band I've never heard of, is still around. They're still performing. They're still on tour. What the hell? It's weird. Well, I, there's one thing, because one of the songs on here, uh, Nelly the Elephant, apparently was a hit. And I get it. I totally understand why that song's a hit, because I can totally, it's, it's so catchy that I can just see a bunch of drunk punks singing along to it. You know, it's just one of those things where you just, you know, you need to have a beer in your hand, and you're just going to town on, those, on that uh, chorus. Speaking of, uh, they have their own beer. <laughs> three different flavors. Really? They must be bigger somewhere hmm. else. Are they from England? They're from England. Okay, yeah. that's they probably have much stronger following than they ever did here. 
But I just thought it was a fun uh, time waster, the kind of thing you can play video games and listen to it in the background. It's certainly different. I, I'll give you that. I, of of the things that you had uh, presented me, this one was a curve because I'm going, I've never heard of this band. And then it, it ended up being the last one I played. And, yeah, it, it definitely uh, <laughs> definitely was not what I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, based on based on previous uh, previous episodes. You know, before we actually get further into this list, what almost made the list? Let's see. For me, let me take a look to see because I have that on another page. How about you? What would you almost have? Um, so the, the ones that were on my list that almost made it was U2 War, um, Alcatraz No Patrol for Rock and Roll, or No No Parole for Rock and Roll. And uh, Corey Hart, First Offense. Let's see. Yeah, some of them they had uh, New Orders, uh, Power, Corruption, and Lies. Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. Uh, the Fixes Reached the Beach. Yeah, I thought about that one too. Uh, that was in my peripheral. Yeah. Uh, 45 Graves, uh, Sleep in Safety, and uh, Depeche Mode's co- uh, Construction Time Again. All right. So oh, and what, Killing Joke's Fire Dances. Oh, what is your number one? Uh, or your first selection, I mean. My number one is going to be Metallica's Kill 'Em All. <laughs> you got, yeah, you know, you have... It's the debut of one of Metal's biggest acts. And, you know, prior... if The story behind this is kind of uh, really messed up. Because prior to them uh, recording it... They kicked uh, Dave Mustaine out because of his excessive drug and alcohol abuse. You know, but considering that this is Alcoholica, uh, <laughs> yeah, what what the hell is excessive for that? Basically, he was replaced by uh, Kirk Hammett from this band called Exodus that is actually also still around. Yeah, I actually had one of their CDs. Uh, they were, yeah, they originally titled the album "Metal Up Your Ass," <laughs> and the art was the art was of a toilet with a hand holding a dagger sticking out of it. Oh my god. So, you know, people want to actually sell the record. So they didn't go with that. And this is basically, it's like I was, this is probably the roughest, out. well, with the exception of uh, St. Anger, uh, this is probably the roughest album that they've put out. You know, sound quality is definitely not the best. uh, But everything that makes Metallica an amazing band is in this album. Yeah, for me, uh, this is the one Metallica album I didn't listen to very often. Um, I even owned it, but I just I wouldn't pop it in very often. I, I, mine was always Ride the Lightning, so when we get to that, I'm going to get super excited. But uh, Seek and Destroy is one of the great singles of all time from early metal. But I think what's interesting about their first album is the, you can still hear like early garage rock punk uh, vibes in their music. They're not full-on thrash yet. Oh, yeah. I mean, Metal Militia, Hit the Lights... Those things are, I mean, it's thrash metal from what we're, you know, you used to, but it's also very punk oriented. But it's like what makes this interesting and why, like, Cliff Burton is probably one of the greatest bassists of all time is you listen to some of these songs, and especially, you mentioned Cliff Burton, Anesthesia, Pulling Teeth. It's specifically, this is why I picked the album, because it's his little bass solo, and it sounds nothing like what people would think of someone playing bass sounds like. Yeah. 
because he's basically he's basically playing the bass like a guitar, you know, quote unquote, and uh, and it's a hell of a rocking track, just you know, filled with all these awesome grooves and you hear all that stuff also in other tracks because like Four Horsemen, it's uh, this thrashy track, but then it's also far more melodic than you would have ever thought of it being because all of a sudden, like halfway through the song, all it becomes a totally different song. And then, you know, it's like, also, now you get this weird melodic thing going on, and then it goes back to being heavy and thrashy. Yeah, it's it's an unusual album. They still haven't found their footing, I think, of what the sound they wanted. Mind you, they've jumped around with their sound over the years, but uh, I, I almost lock in on this one, but it's the next album that I'm completely done with. They're getting there. Well, yeah, well, well it's the next albums where, yeah, they basically refined the sound, and in on Master of Puppets, they perfected it. I'm looking at some of these albums or some of these companies that have gone under Megaforce. I remember that was such a big deal in metal. Are they still around? Am I wrong? Maybe Mega, Megaforce is still around. Megaforce, no. Okay. I don't know. Not, not to my knowledge. Uh, but yeah, it's like Combat Records and uh, War. Yeah. But my well, second well, choice. Showed up on. My second choice is from a red hot label in the 80s that were so profitable they started making movies. And then that's when things went to shit. Is. Uh, IRS Records with the second... Is it the second uh, record from R.E.M., Murmur? Oh, I no, it's debut. It's the first. Yeah, I think it's the debut. Now, we we have uh, something that, uh, that shares a connection here, because one of my bands that'll come up later, uh, both it and uh, R.E.M. featured the late, great Bill Rifflin. I don't know who uh, that is. In the 90s, uh, he is a drummer. Uh, pro- he did uh, a lot of electronic programming. He's a hell of a hell of a musician. Okay. And he uh, sadly passed away earlier this year. But uh, uh, the last like three REM albums featured him on them. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, I just what uh, I like about this. I'm an REM fan, but I would say that only a couple albums really make my top list. And uh, what I appreciate about this one is the sound isn't as eclectic as it would get later. But it's more hard-driving rock, and I really got into Of course, Radio Free Europe, the first track, is one of the strongest start-off tracks you could pick from them. And it's just Without one of those kick-ass college rock songs that just broke out and made them a name. Yeah, it's like, I am not much, much for R.E.M. Uh, I think the only full album I like is actually Document. I played Automatic for the People on a constant loop for a while. <laughs> but there's some there's some stuff in here. Yeah, Radio Free Europe is that Moral Kiosk is is a fire track. Uh, there's what is it? I think Catapult. I really dug. So it's like there's there's some stuff on here I was digging. But then there's also like Perfect Circle, which just put me to sleep. Yeah, they're still trying to find what you know the sound they're looking for, but I, I do feel like they're a little more rocking on this than they usually are. Yeah, I yeah, it's like it. This was probably the the album, uh, with the exception of uh, Toy Dolls, which just kind of confused me. This one was just a little more of a slog. I'm like, okay, this song is good. Okay, this song isn't. Oh, this song is good. This song isn't as good. <laughs> no, it seems like every other song is is a song I kind of respond. Uh, I'm kind of responding to. 
You know, it's it weird? feels like it's the reverse uh, Star Trek. Is this Star the Trek last movies? year where New Wave really matters? I feel like by 1984, we have modern rock taking over, and then uh, the breakthrough for metal. In a way, yeah. I mean, you still had New Wave bands uh, going around, so... Uh, uh, probably, maybe 85. I would probably say... Between eighty four or eighty five, maybe it'd be like the last last time, but anything post eighty five, definitely not. Yeah, New wave I... would be kind of passe at that point. <sighs> All right. So, what is your second choice? My second choice is gonna be well. Let's do ministries with sympathy. I boy, I was not expecting this. At all. I've now, known a couple ministry songs, and that's what I, it was in my head forever. I don't really care for industrial music, so it's going to be rough going, I know, about 10 years from now, <laughs> when we discuss the yeah. 90s. Well, well, it's like I had also I'd sent you uh, one of the, I think it was uh, Rio, Rio Grande Blood, which is one of, at this point, it's over a decade old, but a little more indicative of what ministry sounds like today. And then, like, listen to this before you listen to with sympathy and it's is this even the same band yeah it's it was totally different i actually highly enjoyed it yeah and that just it is it's their debut album but it's a synth pop album yeah it's weird when did they switch sounds technically the second album uh started becoming a little bit more of like a harder industrial dance album and then once you get to the third album, uh, Rape of uh, Land of Rape and Honey, then that's full on thrashy, uh, thrashy stuff. But basically, it's like uh, he had Al Jurgensen, the guy behind Ministry, had met with like uh, Jim Nash and Danny uh, Fleischer of Wax Tracks Records. Uh huh. We'll pour one out for Wax Tracks. They'll always be missed. Uh, basically, he had been putting out some like little random that random singles and they helped him basically kind of uh record a mostly record an album uh, i'm sorry no they recorded the first two of the singles i'm falling in cold life i'm sorry uh and then this led them to getting signed to arista with the promise of them making them the next joy division <laughs> <laughs> and then that didn't happen and Al left, uh, suing them for violating his uh, contractual obligations, and then went went to uh, go back, rejoin Wax Tracks. And if you know anything about Wax Tra- early Wax Tracks records, Al Jurgensen basically wrote like half of everything. Huh. I'm I'm over. I'm a little over embellishing it, but you, there's so many of these things that it's like, oh yeah, it's a ministry side project. It's they only put out a single. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I'm I'm. If it changes dramatically, I'm not sure I'm gonna like it, but I'll, I'll still give it a shot. But uh, is there anything else you want to say before we move on to the next one? Excuse me. <coughs> oh, uh, I would like to say that uh, this is an album that uh, that Al hated for so many years because uh, you know, it's basically kind of. Feels like he was forced to make pop songs. Gotcha. Yeah. And but then he's also contradicted himself by saying that, oh no, my taste just kind of simply changed over time. But even though he's kind of lightened up a bad British accent, 
and yeah, it's it, it makes this album something special. But it's definitely if you like uh, if you like synth poppy stuff, this is a hell of a hell of a little thing to listen to. And it's not the other surprise. You have another one on here. Oh my god. That surprised the shit out of me, but we'll get to it soon. Um, my third selection is an album I listened to maybe a million times on every single road trip as a child. I mentioned it before. There's a handful of records that were in our car for a decade that we listened to nonstop. And the other ones, I don't remember as fondly. Maybe I'll stumble across them later, but I gotta tell you, the bliss, the joy, the nostalgia I had listening to Cargo by Minute Work was just absolutely wonderful. After hearing their first album and really digging it, I was kind of disappointed because it's definitely a step I, down. I quit. I quit. It's not. It's not horrible. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't horrible or anything, but it's not all that memorable. Like, Overkill is all right, but and I think uh, no uh, no sign of yesterday was like kind of hit me. Like I really was digging on that, but then you kind of like. Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive, I'm like, it's definitely a Men at Work song. I'm def, you know, I definitely hear everything about it. It's not like I'm being side, you know, sideswiped or anything, but I'm just kind of going, what happened? It uh, uh, was all the joy I had. Okay, so when I was a kid, my two favorite songs were Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive, and settle down, my boy. Settle down. <laughs> Fucking love them. So uh, yeah. you're on my shit list right now. No, I'm kidding. That, that was definitely a nice, nice. <laughs> that, actually, that was a pretty, pretty good uh, chill track. So what? What I think the difference like, is between uh, the two albums is I, I think there's more of a ska influence that's faster paced on the first album, Business as Usual. Cargo seems to be more melodic, a little uh, melancholy. And darker in its subject matter, uh, but Overkill is their greatest song. I can't, I can't imagine uh, how anybody could hit those fucking notes because there's a point where I'm like, no, he's not gonna. Oh, he's still going higher, and he's still going higher. I've heard him do the song recently. <laughs> he, he cannot. He can't hit those notes again. Um. Yeah. It's it's those things where we're going. Of a lot of things I have heard, as I said, it's like I've—I know he can never maintain certain stuff, certain a certain level as as often, but still, it because isn't this like the last album? Or did, did they have one more? Album? They had one more. This is the last though with the original core group. What happened on the third album is it was just mutiny. For some reason, everybody got into a tiff with. Colin Hay um, so the first two guys quit and that's when they ditched the uh, horns and then on the third album which is a good album it's not great it's good um, you can see they're running out of ideas things they want to say it doesn't gel as well and then they just went off in their different directions after that yeah I, I'll be honest I think I kind of hear some of that in this album where it's just it's it doesn't seem like as cohesive as that first yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at the sales right here. The first album had six million dollars, six million uh, records sold in America, uh, three million for the second album, Cargo, and Two Hearts debuted at number fifty. They had five singles, and not a single one of them connected. 
Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that's that's rough. That is rough. How can an album just burn so bright and just done in just a couple years? It's amazing. Unfortunately, well, obviously tastes do change over time, but it's it's a thing where it's just sometimes you know cult, uh, something hits in the cultural zeitgeist but you know it's like the second that 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 you know our memories collective memories just get forget you know get forgetful pretty quick huh and all of a sudden we're we're off we're off on you know we've gotten distracted by the keys you know someone's jingling keys in front of us and, <laughs> oh, shiny we're over here now yeah i'm looking at this and colin hay is back on tour with uh, men at Work, the Revive, they, the band got back together for the most part. One of the members has died, but uh, they're back on tour, which um, is probably good because there's only only so many acoustic shows he could do by himself. Colin Hay made the rounds many times. I think my sister's seen him a couple times live. Yeah, they do. They still seem like they'd be a fun band to see live. Even some, even if like Doctor Jekyll and, and uh, Mister Jive, even if I don't particularly like it as a radio cut, I. You know, I'm pretty sure I probably enjoy it seeing that live. Yeah. All right, what is your next album? My next one will be Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. Holy shit, is this one that I owned as a kid? Oh, my God, I had all of these, I think. I think I even had, two, was it Too Fast for Love is their first one? Yeah, Too Fast for Love is the first, and then, yeah, this is the second one, and it's the break breakthrough record for them. Yeah. And, it's... you know, no... It's no small part to the controversy surrounding it because you know it's it's the name. It's got a pentagram on the cover. You know it's obviously evil. Yeah, it's also one of the first albums where they did glam metal, like the L.A. glam look. Yeah, and you know it's like this is this was a throwback uh, to the band uh, Sister that both uh, Nikki Six and uh, Wasps Blackie Lawless uh, were in, and so I have no proof of this and. Even though I picked this album and I like this album, I think it's a very strong album. It's it feels like it was all a marketing scheme to piss off Christians because it's a great <laughs> well, way to sell records. Yeah. You know, you want you want to sell it to the rebellious youth, make it, you know, throw a pentagram on there and be like, Oh look, we're evil. Ooh. I mean shit like it, Slayer did that for years. Venom did that shit for years. Oh yeah. I mean this is also that era where that became a hot like commodity because you know we're just around the corner from the whole what is it not mpaa what's the thing with the uh, uh, the pmrc pmrc you know and then you know oh we need to know what wasp means by fuck like a beast you know, stuff like that <laughs> well i i i am going to bring a wasp in you know in a year or two because they're i do feel that they are a very very underrated band but uh, we'll we'll see when we which one we get to from there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking at the tracks here. We listen to this in theater of pain all the time. So my father used to work for a newspaper company, and back in the day when uh, kids used to be more involved, they used to gather up all the kids on the route that were wanting to go sell newspapers because they made commissions off that, uh, and we'd just go around for hours 
I mean, just like we're, we're talking three hours or three or four hours a night canvassing the neighborhoods in my father's route. And then we, we did that almost every single night. And I got to tell you, we listened to Van Halen and Motley Crue almost every single fucking night. <laughs> so I, I know these two albums so well. But here's the weirdest thing is listening to this, I was like, oh, no, we listen to Theater of Pain way more than Shout Out to Devil. Well, like, and the funniest thing is this really didn't need all that, uh, all the little controversy stuff. I mean, oh, granted, yes. It, shout at the shout at the devil is a very strong track, and you know should leave that in. But like the doing their cover of Helter Skelter, I think that was a very very bad idea. It's not very good. It's like it's like the major misstep on this album out uh-huh. of anything because all the other songs are really are are extremely solid. And then oh look, we're we're covering Helter Skelter because we're you know being. You know, again, controversial. Ooh, right, it's more gimmicky than yeah. anything else. And you also have one of the Filthy Fifteen songs on this uh, album, with the song "Bastard." You know, oh. picked because what's... yeah, picked because of violence and language. Hold on, what's Filthy Fifteen? Yet... How do I not know what this is? That's the PMRC's list of the fifteen worst songs ever. Oh some, wow, some shit like that. Because we also talked about it with uh, uh, it was. On uh, a Def Leppard song, because uh, because of the partying and the drugs and alcohol use in that song. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, I must have missed you saying yet, that. Yeah, yet they uh, yet they took "Bastard," which I guess because of the title, obvious, you know, for language, but really not "Shout at the Devil." <laughs> that that certainly has uh, lots of. Uh, uh, Demonic and uh, supernatural things that should be uh, thought of as, you know, terrible. But it, I think, one of the things that uh, entertained me was uh, "Knock 'Em Dead Kid" is apparently a song about Nikki uh, Six's encounter with some hell's angels. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, they were cops undercover as hell's angels who end up kicking his ass and uh, locking him up. Okay, that's. But he, but huh. he, yeah, he got he got into a fight with what he thought were a bunch of hell's angels, and thankfully for you know, thankfully they were only cops and not actually hell's angels. Hold on, were the officers named uh, uh, Friday and Streebeck? <laughs> <laughs> but this also this is uh, the album that like opened doors and then their behavior almost shut all of the doors that opened. Because uh, they got kicked off of uh, Kiss's, Cre- uh, Kiss's Creatures of the Night tour because of their bad behavior. And you also had uh, that unfortunate thing where Vince Neil ended up in a car in the, the car accident right. that killed Hanoi, Hanoi Rock's drummer, Razzle, and then put the other driver uh, in a coma. And yet somehow he got out of it relatively unscathed. I'm sure. I'm sure that actually haunts that dude. Like, yeah, I can see. There's a lot of damage in him. I mean, plus he lost his daughter to cancer when she was very young. Yeah. So, this this is a very good uh, album to examine because of the uh, what fame can do to people who are very self-destructive. Did you watch the uh, the movie about them on Netflix? Not the movie about. No, I. I was about to say I've seen the uh, documentary that 
the the uh, dang it, the Penelope Spears documentary. Oh right, the, the uh, end of Western but that's, Civilization. But that's also yeah, the kind of Western Civilization too. But that that doesn't have Wasp as the guy from um, that doesn't have Molly Crew as the guy from Wasp in it. So never mind. I was about to say yeah, you can see the him uh, see that uh, that firsthand. But no, I'm thinking of another band now. The uh, the fourth album for me is Dio's debut, Holy Diver. Oh, thank you for picking this one. I'm actually shocked you because did not. I held off because I, was, I assumed you would. I was going to actually. It it was on my list, and I was thinking heavily about it. But part of me also went, it's a little too easy, and there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff out there that I'm going. I I should go I should go explore this and this or this. Yes, just like, like uh, my I, I will... my relationship with Andrew, uh, he picks the more obscure, cool stuff. I'm so lame and mainstream. <laughs> well, well, again, I had already picked uh, their uh, his his debut with the Black Sabbath. So oh yeah, we do know, try his not solo that. debut. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's so interesting looking at how many tracks fit on an album back then because they were thinking of the record and, and not beyond that because there's only nine tracks. And that was so commonplace back then. But now, if I bought a CD that only had nine tracks on it, I'm like, every track better be ten minutes long. <laughs> well, it's like, I love... Th- this is an album I love from start to start to finish. And as much as I think it's one of my... It definitely is one of my favorite tracks of all time in a rock so damn hard Rainbow in the Dark and it's keys those are some goofy ass keys <laughs> what is the, what are the lyrics uh, you, t- you know the tiger is clean You don't you know what I mean I'm like no Oh, no we don't <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about yes, yes the, the, Dio can write some very interesting introspective stuff and then he ta- then he uh, follows it with something that is completely asinine and and you sit there like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, of course, Tenacious D absolutely loves Dio. They did a couple tributes from him, <laughs> but but in a weird way because like Dio has rocked for a long long time. Now it's time to pass the torch. Like you're getting too old. Get off the stage. <laughs> are you? Are you love him or you feel sad for him? I don't know what's going on. Well, as much as I didn't particularly like the film, their uh, their their movie where they have the little audio cameo from Dio is probably one of the greatest things of all time. Yeah, but it also last <laughs> it led to that video push, which was kind of his comeback track. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's like he passed away not too long after that too. Oh, just as he was he, rising up and he kind of yeah because he was also starting to work again with uh with tani iomi and everyone from black sabbath although they weren't going to put out another sabbath album it was i think they were calling heaven and hell i think that was the that's project right yeah. title because and they put that out too and you're going like oh my god there's gonna be this new you know new dio resurgence and then yeah he passes away but let's let's talk about the first album. There's only two singles off this, but I'm telling you right now, I see five easy hit singles: "Stand Up and Shout," "Holy Diver," obviously, "Don't Talk to Strangers," "Straight Through the Heart," "Rainbow in the Dark." Uh, that's amazing. Half your tracks yeah. are legitimate singles. Yeah, it's like "Straight Through the Heart" is possibly the 
the most metal anthemist anthem on this thing, and this is filled with anthems. Yeah, obviously, stand up and shout's a stronger, I think, stronger. But straight to the heart, I can't argue that either. Yeah, just I just want a jersey, jersey punch the sky every time <laughs> I hear straight through the heart. <laughs> All right, so that's it for that album for me. Uh, your next choice. My next choice is going to be Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Troubles, Texas Flood. I was actually surprised by this one. I didn't expect this, and I really enjoyed it. It's a classic uh, Roadhouse blues album. Yeah, it is phenomenal. I kind of backed into uh, hearing his stuff uh, through uh, Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Just kind of like they had random tracks, I think. I think it was Guitar Hero 1 has a cover of Texas Flood. I think 3 had uh, Pride and Joy. Might be back. Might be the other way around. And the part 3 is actually the actual track and not a kind of cover version of it. Uh-huh. So it's like, it kind of introduced me there, and then I started, you know, kind of started listening to it and just fell in love with the whole album. And it's, it is a hell of a, you know, it's like, you want to talk about debut albums this is probably one of the best debut albums if anything since uh, the first Van Halen at the very least yeah you know what's funny is the only thing I really know about Stevie Ray Vaughan of course is singles but they played non-stop on this channel called I think it was 98.4 The Bear and they were classic rock and man they love Stevie Ray Vaughan they played it constantly what's funny is it's like, like his band had They've been uh, slowly gaining popularity in Texas, but not really gaining any real traction. But someone saw them and invited them to play the Montreal uh, Jazz Festival in, during their blues night. And they played and got like booed off the stage, essentially. But uh, the right people were there and were impressed by him. He had Jackson Brown, oh, wow. who offered him his personal uh, recording studio, and they recorded this album in two days. Wow. Uh, it, well, he had, they had it for three days. Day one was set up. Day two and three was recording this thing. Uh, and hearing those things, David Bowie actually invited uh, invited him to play on the Let's Dance record and then on the subsequent tour, which even you know brought him you know, even further you know, notoriety. That's all. I, I don't have anything it's else like, to say about it. Sorry. Yeah, I gotta say this though, I I love some speedy technical metal shit. I love that stuff. Rude mood puts some of that shit to shame. <laughs> like that is a freight that is a freight train of a song, and it is it's a class all its own. If you love technical any kind of technical guitar, guitar work, yeah, listen to that song. Well, yeah, I mean, it's never the genre for me. I do have a predilection for certain things, but what I'm looking for is technical skill. Or uh, I'm lame. I, if it's got a good hook and a, a catchy beat, I'm, I'm down for it. Oh yeah, like even uh, like testify. It's a it's a cover of an Isley Brothers song, kind of. Uh, There's a song by Isley Brothers called Testify, which featured Jimi Hendrix on guitar. Uh, his uh, Ray Vaughn's version of Testify is kind of a cover of the guitar part of that song. And it's, you know, it's like, it's phenomenal. Especially because if, 
because I was listening to the uh, extended version of the album, which includes some live live tracks. And he's you sitting there playing like I think two or three Hendrix songs as well. And it's like just the love you can hear in his guitar playing for Hendrix is so clear. I I don't know anything about Stevie Ray Vaughan. He is dead, right? He is dead. Yes. Well, it was an accident or something, right? I. If I remember right, yeah. I'm gonna look right now. I was curious. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, one one other thing. I don't know why this was buried in my notes. <clears throat> Here's a little minor bit of trivia. Uh, Kurt Loder, from that we remember from MTV. If you're of a certain age, uh-huh. uh huh. He was an editor. He was an editor at Rolling Stone at the time, and he thought uh, Spivak didn't have a distinctive voice. Kurt Loder can eat a dick. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he's a hell of a lot older than I thought he was. Holy shit! Yeah, and listen to Dirty Pool on that album, and those vocals give me chills. That is just like, I get goosebumps listening to that thing. It's just, ooh, so good. All right, so yeah, my... Texas... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I thought you were still looking up uh, that stuff, so I was going to... No, continue. no, it was if a helicopter next... crash, yeah. But yeah, what is number five? Uh, my final choice is Oingo Boingo, Good For Your Soul. Their best album, though. The next one's really great, too. It's probably going to make the list, but... For me, this is two just... thumbs up, huh? Two thumbs up, two skulls up, <laughs> two rotating skulls <laughs> up. Uh, it fucking just kicks ass. Uh, Who do you want to be today? Is one of the most kick-ass rock and roll ska filled. Yeah, and, and if you know the song, you probably know it from Teen Wolf too. <laughs> That's what he's in the montage boxing training. Yeah, that song just makes me want to go just crazy. It's just so upbeat and awesome. Yeah, good for your soul is great. No Spill Blood is an homage to Island of Dr. Moreau, and it's got this weird chant, and just, it's so catchy. It is, yeah, that is one of, not the first song or anything I've heard from, from them, but when I was actively starting to listen to Oingo Boingo, that was one of the first songs I heard. And... Kind of like, okay, yeah, I'd heard there, they had a song on the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. They had, you know, Weird Science and, and some other stuff. So it's like, there were a couple of singles here. And then this random one kind of kind of showed up in this playlist I was listening to and just, this is bizarre. I like it. Yeah. Uh, sweat is another, like, hard pounder. Uh, I mean, that thing just, I mean, the, the word sweat goes with how the song rocks. It's, it's so fast. Nothing ever, nothing bad ever happens to me is such an interesting and very topical song. For, yes, uh, oh yes, uh, we were talking about that today at work because they had never heard the song and I'm just like, well think about a song that basically tells you what these guys that aren't wearing masks are going, what's going on in their head. Well, I don't know anybody who has it. I've never seen anybody who actually died from it. So nothing's going to affect me, so what do I care? Exactly. Now, there's... This thing does end with two of, like, the creepiest songs, though. Like, Pictures of You and then Little Guns both have this creep factor to them that just kind of, like, going, ooh, I like this, but this is... Yeah, it goes out on a somber. See, it starts off so hard rocking, but it ends kind of somber. But we're missing a track that might be my favorite track of all time from them, and it's Wake Up, it's 1984, another song that's really important for what's going on right now. Yes. It, it, it's about like not so. seeing the history that's our, you know, and we're not respecting our history and taking that knowledge with us because it's all happening again. Yes, it. 
the more more things more things change, the more they stay the same. And if you don't uh, pay attention to history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah, and it, we're, the, I gotta tell you, Oingo Bongo is more powerful now than I think they've ever been. But the problem is, no one's listening to them. Unfortunately, no. Yeah, this is uh, this is that weird period where Danny Elfman would go off after this and do his own record. And then they would come back, I think, at their highest point with... Of course, Weird Science was a big exposure, but this is when they started really getting attached to movies. Like, it just seemed like every great 80s movie had a track from Oingo Boingo. Well, let's see. When when did... Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure hit. That's 85. Oh, 85, okay. So, yeah, a couple... Still, still two years away from him starting to really become a... Uh, dipping his toes into the film uh, film scoring side of yeah, things. Yeah, the, the more his film scoring took over, I think the weaker the band got. Well, yeah, he's dividing his time now, you know. He's now, now doing doing something a little more artistic, artistically creative as opposed to uh, going on tour and performing like a monkey in front of everybody. Yeah, can I tell you that I don't understand? What's that movie they made again? Forbidden Zone? I don't get that movie oh, at all. Forbidden, yeah. That thing's kind of terrible. I still haven't haven't seen it. That's that's on my list of many movies that I've featured musicians that I want to see. I gotta say, there's a thing with blackface that I am really uncomfortable with. Uh, yeah. Well, good. Thank you for, thank you for letting me know. You know, you'll be ready. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, what is your final selection? My final solution is final solution. Final uh, pick. Is, what the hell's going on? The final solution. I'm I'm leaving. <laughs> Yeah, uh, SSQ's playback. Now, this was the first and only album by SSQ, at least until this year. <laughs> Which is not the but, uh, uh, snowboarding game on PlayStation Two. <laughs> no, that is SSX. Uh, <laughs> but does the name Stacy Swain sound familiar? Oh no, I looked it up. I know who it is. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. Well, yeah, she found she found success as Stacy Q. Uh, they had that, of course, that big single Two of Hearts. And it's the same woman, and basically the same band as this. Yeah, it's it's, it's very similar sound. And it's yeah, basically it's uh, uh, Stacy had met this guy uh, John St. James, who's a singer, uh, songwriter, and producer who owned a place called Casbah Recording Studio, like Berlin and Social Distortion. Did okay, yeah, I like Berlin. Yeah, they bonded over their love of synth bands like Kraftwerk and M, and collaborated. And we got this, and. It is uh, is one of the best little uh, synth albums that I've heard in a long time, especially because from it's from '83 and it sounds like it was recorded like post 2000. It's one of the ones that I swear I would have picked up from Metropolis Records or uh, or uh, Wax Tracks Two or something. Yeah, it's and I, I usually hate this genre. I have a very hard time with this genre, especially when you get to the late 80s where it got pushed out of modern rock and then everything in the top 40 was like this teeny bopper synth rock, which she was a part of. Um, but I actually enjoyed the album. I probably won't ever listen to it again, honestly, but I was like, I don't hate this. It's, I'm okay with it. Well, it's funny. I first heard about this band because they had a song in uh, Return of the Living Dead. Oh. Which is, which is kind of on this album. If you listen to the, I think it's 2014 re-release, they stacked a whole bunch of uh, stuff onto this, including the uh, the an album cut of it, and then 
I think it's the movie cut. Now, I do have to go and watch that st- uh, cemetery strip scene again just to make sure. <laughs> you know, po- frame by frame, I must me. know. Poor me. Just so you know, I choose to suffer for all of you just so I know whether or not which version of that song is actually in the film. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I think I kept it a secret for a long time but my aversion to most zombie movies because of this utter breakdown emotional thing that I had with Dawn of the Dead where I was paranoid for 20 years. I could never watch it again. I just watched it again the other night. And I was like, wait, no. You watch Return of the Living Dead like every couple years. What's a, what's a, what is it about Dawn of the Dead that just fucks you up? And Return of the Living Dead doesn't. And I think it is the the modern... There's a bigger budget. It's it's more punk and fun. And it's just wild. Dawn of the Dead just has this dread. This non-stop dread the whole time. Yeah, it's... up as Even though it does have a few goofy moments in it. Dawn of the, the Dead. The music in that movie's weird. Yeah. yeah, Dawn of the Dead is just an extremely nihilistic film. And I kind of wish I could see the original ending of it where everybody dies. What? Just say I saw the original ending. But, uh, yeah. It, it didn't have the somewhat happy ending. Yeah, at original ending, everybody... Uh, what's your name? Commits suicide by a helicopter, and uh, they they end up reusing that gag as the because uh, I guess they changed it early on, but they uh, reused that gag earlier in the film where the zombie's head gets chopped off. Oh right, okay. That was going to be the our female lead. She was going. That's how she was going to kill herself. She was going to step into the blade. I thought you were going to say she crashed the helicopter. No, no, no. She steps into the blade and. Uh, our other hero who was waiting to die gets killed. Oh. <laughs> it's God. yeah, pretty straightforward. Hey, so but, SSQ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> SSQ, yes. Uh, I mean, you have synthes like it starts with this track that's uh, called Synthesize, and it is seriously, it is far too modern. Yeah, it's um, really good. Well, didn't they go back and remaster this and, and kind of release it as if it was a new album? They are back together, aren't they? They are back together. I said they did put out a new album, and I heard it, and it's not that good. Okay, I'll just say because on, on Spotify it does not say 1983; it says a totally different year. Yeah, yeah, it says 2014 on Spotify, and that's yeah. I think they, I think they did go and probably tweak a little bit, make it sound a little, a little thing. But even so, that is a you listen to uh, tonight. We'll make love until we die that song is still sounds very polished now there was did have a music video for one of the songs uh the song screaming in my pillow actually had a couple of videos produced for it one of which was a pg-13 video that was on mtv there was another one uh which featured full frontal nudity oh. uh and Stacey swain and a model engaging in lesbian acts that aired on playboy tv Okay. <laughs> now, now, according to the source of all wisdom, Wikipedia, there was apparently a Nancy Seventeen version of the video too that ended up on this uh, ape called Red Hot Rock that had you know other videos like Queen's Body Language and the Tube's Mondo Bondage. But considering that it's Wikipedia, it's probably that one that was on Playboy TV, and there's probably just like, two versions of it, not three like oh, they okay. seem to think. 
well, that's it, but, right? Yeah. Anything this else is you want to say before we go? Yeah. I can't believe. Here's the thing, though. When we started this in 1980 and 81, I had the longest effing list that I had to whittle down. This wasn't that hard. And I get the feeling that 84, 85, it's going to be even harder. This is before I started buying my own albums where I'm listening to my parents' stuff and everything that we knew was all the mainstream stuff. So I have to do some digging for something good. Well, I think I've got most of my 84 thought of at this point. But 85 and 86, that's just, those are going to be the tough ones for me. And I I think I've mentioned before, I might want to see if we can do a couple of albums, especially, if anything, for 86. Well, you know, there's a thing where we're going to get to the 90s and we're going to have to split this up. First half of 1991, you know, second half, because this is when I hardcore started getting into music and I have a lot of albums I want to discuss. You cannot cover it in one hour. Oh, very much so, yeah. It's... there. That's the thing. Is like There's just so much stuff that... Just looking at my lists, uh, going down just the 80s, what I have, it goes insane. It just becomes way too, you know, insanely long yeah. <laughs> every year. Okay, so that is it for this episode. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And, of course, everybody, we're going to build a mixtape for this episode on Spotify. And uh, you'll be building that once I finally get my ass around to picking the tracks. I screwed it up last time. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, yeah. Do you want to say goodbye to the kids? <laughs> say goodbye to the kids. Goodbye. Right. Bye, kids.